I want to invite you to join us for the first ever Bitcoin Business Owners Roundtable. On May 22nd, Paul D. Joe, co-founder and former COO at Mudwater, will be sharing about online marketing and using Bitcoin to accelerate your efforts. In addition to helping scale the well-known coffee alternative, Paul is also behind Casey Cattle's recent Bitcoin adoption that went viral on Twitter. After Paul shares, there'll be a live Q&A along with the time to share insights and network with fellow entrepreneurs. You can find a link in the show notes to sign up. Be sure you'll be able to say, I was there when your progeny asked you where you were for the first ever Bitcoin Business Owners Roundtable. Motive's purpose is not to create circular economies. Motive's purpose is not to proliferate uh, the adoption of Bitcoin. Motive's purpose is to help people, especially the most vulnerable. We attack that by getting rid of dependencies. The reason that we continue to choose and use Bitcoin is there's nothing that works quite as well. There's nothing that works anywhere close to as well. Many things that we do would be impossible on fiat and in the banking system. Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and our guest today is Rich Swisher, who is the co-founder and CEO of Motive, a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers the disempowered and uses Bitcoin circular economies to help people eliminate dependencies that are keeping them oppressed. I really enjoyed learning about what Motive is doing, and I encourage you to keep up with them if you enjoy what you hear on the interview today. Of course, before we get to the interview with Rich, we do have this week's Bitcoin Meetup Spotlight, and this week is the Asheville Bitcoiners. Asheville Bitcoiners is the place to be to talk about Bitcoin in Western North Carolina. They invite plebs, maximalists, and no-coiners alike to stop by their friendly gathering at Zillicoa Beer Company every other Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. You can find more information about Asheville Bitcoiners on their meetup page or on Twitter at AVL Bitcoiners. Those links are in the show notes below. And if you want to find a Bitcoin meetup near you, I encourage you to download the Oshi app where you'll be able to do just that. Now, we're going to get to our interview with Rich right after this. Business owners, unlock the benefits Bitcoin has to offer your business with the Bitcoin for Business Quick Start Guide. This 27-page guide highlights the six ways you can grow your business with Bitcoin. Check it out in the show notes. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Really, really excited to be here. Thanks so much. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you a little bit better and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Absolutely. When and how did you first learn about Bitcoin? I first learned about it, um, I don't know how early. I hope it wasn't really early uh, or kick myself even harder. But first learned about it through um, just kind of my background and interest in cryptology. I used to work uh, nuclear security. And we use cryptology over in Europe uh, I was part of a NATO nuclear strike force. Um, and so it was just interesting. And then would hear about, you know, I was really interested in in the uh, code breaking in World War II and things like that. And so it, it hit me there. And I wasn't interested in it as a financial tool whatsoever. I just, you know, I didn't give any credence to that and really wasn't um, financially literate um, anywhere near where I should have been. 
first time I paid attention to it as a money would have been in 2017 or 18. 20, yeah, 2017. And I was speaking to a guy that I, that I worked for at this biotech company uh, who had a bunch of investment in Bitcoin. And he was talking a little bit about it. And he had just left me with, you really should, you really need to learn more about it. And I, again, didn't touch it at all. Um, and then a close family friend was working with somebody who was doing philanthropy in Bitcoin. And I put them together with a, with a nonprofit who declined donations in Bitcoin. They had too many restrictions for the, for the donor. And um, then I started my own nonprofit not too long after that. And myself didn't think too much about Bitcoin. I knew the kind of the requirements and the interest this donor had, and um, I didn't see any way to do it. And then we end up in the summer of 2020, um, and I'm looking for funding, and, and everyone has alligator arms. It's, you know, the beginnings of the lockdown and everything. And I went back to that donor, and um, that's when I started when I started taking orange pills. What's an insight or fact about Bitcoin that you wish everyone understood? The value of true decentralization. Everyone talks about DeFi and they're talking about crypto. Well, it's not DeFi. It's separated from regulatory structure, but I don't know that that's a great thing in itself. I don't believe it's a great thing in itself. It's not decentralized. All these other coins are owned by an individual, a company, a government, uh, an entity of some sort. Um... The real value in Bitcoin is that it is more like an element. Uh, Bitcoin is, it's also one of the challenges in promoting adoption. Bitcoin is like wood. Wood is great. Nobody advertises just, hey, you should use wood. If they're selling specific lumber, they'll advertise that. If they've built a wood product, they'll advertise that. But Bitcoin is really just like wood. And the other currencies, all of them, um, fiat, crypto, all the all the centralized uh, currencies, they're like uh, a can of corn. Uh, one of them might be a can of corn. Another one might be um, a box of cereal. Um, are they useful? Sure. Um, depending on what you're hungry for and what your specific use is. Wood is always useful. Some people burn it. Other people make gorgeous furniture. Some people make things that have lasted for thousands of years. Um, other people, it's just structural. Some people like it to stay as a tree so they can get shade. Mandra, it does all kinds of things. And it's also essential for the planet's survival. Um, we, would, we would all go away without trees. And the other currencies are just things made up. They're ideas that are made up. Uh, me and my friends, when I was a little kid, we'd make up stories. Whether we were playing army or good guys, bad guys or whatever, We'd make up stories and we'd take on personas and we'd be this stuff. It's over at the end of the day, or at least it's over at childhood. And I really think we're resting on a financial system that's built like that. What is the Bitcoin resource you most recommend to other people? Probably, other than donating to Motive, um, I would recommend uh, the Bitcoin standard. And not even necessarily the part where it where it goes into... I don't know if you'd want to call it evangelizing Bitcoin, but but it lays out a great historical path for people to understand what money is, what currency is, and what are what the 
financial systems that things are built on, how they came about and why they are here and what they are based on. Um, and that's why I say I was not, I used to even work in fintech and I was not financially literate. I was whatever the other pills are. I was green pilled or, or whatever it is. And I was just like, well, that's the way it is. I'm not an economist, so whatever. I won't mess with that. And the first times I had to really think about it was when we had these don this donor and was like, hey, I'm happy to donate to you, but you need to turn the transaction circular. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I started looking into and and I'm I don't know I'm um, I'm very thorough, I'm very detailed, and I didn't want to be like, hey, arguably uh, this kind of did it. I wanted to achieve it. I wanted to really achieve it and show back and go like, there, it was done. And I had to learn how an economy was built in order to do it. I mean, it's just there was no shortcut to it. Um, but the Bitcoin standard is something I refer back to um, all the time in understanding things. And whether it's the book itself or uh, just concepts retrieved from it. Beyond Bitcoin, what is a resource tool or idea that's been helpful to you or your work at Motive recently? I would say... The most, the most useful thing, we also had to tackle at one point. We people would say, well, "What are you doing?" And to explain it, there's a lot of complexity when you are creating a circular economy. I, I work with a lot of the other organizations that are adding to circular economies, and some of them are working on creating them. But we we really create economies that could operate solely on Bitcoin, and they don't, and they're at various stages of maturity. But um, to explain that to somebody, you're going to need 15, 20 minutes of their time, and they're probably still going to be scratching their head. Mm -hmm. um, what I've found really useful, uh, when we broke everything down to find out what it is we do, the problem we tackle is dependency. Dependency on whatever. We all have dependencies. I, I live in America. I have dependency on a, the fire department and the police department, um, our medical system, like it, love it, whatever. Uh, I, I need it. Um, uh, the military uh, to keep us safe, you know, this and that. But they're not life or death dependencies. Um, we live in a pretty secure web. Other people live without a lot of those protections. Some people, the people that we serve in motive, their dependencies um, are for survival and their needs are not met and they cannot themselves meet their needs. And what we what I really boiled down was um, dependencies equal vulnerabilities. I have a manageable number of dependencies and I've got a lot of options for ways around them. You know, if I lose income one way, I can get a job doing something else. I can rely on a you know good education and this and that. But when dependencies get to a certain tipping point, um, your vulnerabilities get to a point where you're susceptible to do things you'd never dream of doing just to survive. And, you know, you hear the story about the South American soccer team that, that crashed and resorted to cannibalism to stay alive. They would have never thought they would have done that until it came to life or death. A lot of the things that the people in our programs have done, it's easy for us sitting here in the first world to judge them, even easy for people with means and resources um, in their own country to judge them. Um, but you'd have to walk a lifetime in their shoes to understand how they got there. And the basis of it is dependency and overwhelming vulnerability 
that uh, that ruins destroys lives and communities. And so that's the concept I I would like people to think about because yeah, it's really stark and obvious down in slums of outside of Lima. But it, it's applicable right here. I live in a, in a lovely beach town in California. It's applicable right here, right now to us. If we don't start recognizing that, hey, any time a dependency is created that we opt into, we are adding vulnerability and we are getting ourselves closer to that. Um, we really need to look at this country was based on independence and it's just strayed further and further from it. Really look at how do you limit your dependencies and reduce your vulnerabilities for you and your families. That's that's the idea I think that I find most important to focus on these days. Excellent. And there's probably a lot for people to think about right there for their own lives. I'm sure we'll delve more into how that connects to motives work as well over the course of the interview. But before that, we have what we call our final arbitrary but insightful question. And it's this as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Oh, I think it's they're inseparable. I think mm. you have to ask both each time. I, I don't know. I was always wired that way. I kind of had a strange upbringing, and uh, I was thankfully wired to not just do what I was told without asking why. And I wasn't wired to not do what I was told not to do without asking well, why not. Um, and I've raised. I have three sons, um, varying in age quite a bit. My oldest is thirty-four. And there's very few things where I've I've told them, you know, just when you're told, just do 99.9 percent of the time you need to look at why do that and why not do that. Um, And quite often authority figures and and the rules are right. They're in there for a good place. And yeah, I've broken many of them and it's not done me well or I've adhered to some um, that have really helped me out. But uh, I think. I think you have to really weigh everything for yourself and make your own decisions. Meet Linkster, your premier Bitcoin-focused advisor. Linkster caters to businesses, institutions, family offices, and high net worth individuals. They merge your unique financial goals and needs with Linkster's Bitcoin expertise to craft your own sustainable plan to preserve and grow the value of your hard-earned profits and retained earnings. And Linkster is not just advice, it's tailored execution. Connect directly with the founder by visiting Linkster.com. That's L-Y-N-C-S-T-E-R. Dot com Linkster. Secure your future with Bitcoin. Today's episode of Business Bitcoinization is proudly brought to you by Vellus Commerce, where the future of business technology meets Bitcoin. As we journey through the era of Bitcoin and its transformational impact on businesses, there's one name that stands out. Vellus Commerce. Whether you're looking to build a cutting-edge website, a seamless mobile app, or custom software, Vellus is your go-to team. They've been diving deep into the world of Bitcoin since 2014, making them one of the most experienced groups for integrating Bitcoin and Lightning payments into a variety of digital platforms. But here's what truly sets them apart. Vellus Commerce doesn't just build. They bring a wealth of knowledge to ensure your project success from day one. Their team understands the nuances of Bitcoin, ensuring that your business stays ahead of the curve. And for all business Bitcoinization listeners out there, Vellus Commerce is offering a free consultation to kickstart your project the right way. So if you're ready to future-proof your business in the coming age of hyper-Bitcoinization, head over to VellusCommerce.com or reach out on Twitter at VellusCommerce. Let's make sure your business thrives in the Bitcoin era. 
Excellent. Well, Rich, we're here today to talk about motive and what you guys are doing on the ground in at least Peru. I don't know about other countries you have your eye on yet, but if you could just share with us a little bit about motive. You've already talked about the importance of at least being aware of your dependencies and limiting those where possible, but could you share with us a little bit more about what you're doing on the ground in these communities? So on the ground, we, we've gone through, like I said, we had, we had so many stumbles and mistakes, fumbling and learning how to do this, how to create these circular economies. And motive's purpose is not to create circular economies. Motive's purpose is not to proliferate uh, the adoption of Bitcoin. Motive's purpose is to help people, um, especially the most vulnerable. And like I said, we attack that by getting rid of dependencies. The reason that we continue to choose and use Bitcoin is there's nothing that works quite as well. There's nothing that works anywhere close to as well. Many things that we do would be impossible on fiat and in the banking system. Even if you went to like a, the most widely used cryptocurrency, centralized one, Ethereum, You'd be, you'd be putting people at, at just a much too great of a risk. So we, we created these um, circular economies because it, it helps support what we do um, for the people in these communities, which is we, we figure out what their uh, vulnerabilities are and their dependencies, and then we come up with ways to help them. And, and it's usually through, uh, it's, it's almost always through educational program. Um, so we educate them uh, on vocation, vocational skills um, to help them um, be able to maybe get a job, um, entrepreneurial skills so that they can start a home business. And that's really at, at that level, that's most commonly the thing that works the best. Um, but we do some academic education, some language education, and then we have various programs that support them medically, um, nutritionally. And we do that through outreach um, we, and, and medically, I, I guess I would say medically, healthcare wise, nutritionally, sort of holistic, help the person approach. And not only do you build economies in a community, but you also, the best way to help people is a community approach. We're a tribal animal, uh, people are. And... You can't just help one member of that tribe do well and it spreads. You have to teach them that they have to spread it to others. So we, we've developed a program that hopefully has a viral nature to it. At the very least, the people that come through our program start earning their own money, start being able to pay their own way, start recognizing for the first time in their lives and the first time in most of the time, many generations of their families' lives, what independence feels like and the value of financial independence and the ability to make the choices best for you and for your kids rather than just what do I got to do to survive? They start, they start really, it, it transforms their lives. We press and require, they share that with others in their community and we let them know, you know, there's going to come a time where you're going to slip and you're going to fall. And if you've, if you've been walking along high on the hog while people around you are struggling to survive, when you fall, they're going to kick you and kick you hard. 
conversely, if you've helped them learn how to do better for themselves and all, when you fall, they're going to recognize the teamwork that got them up and out, and they're going to be there to help you out most likely, hopefully so. Mm. So that community approach, not only does it facilitate these, these the, our comprehensive centers that are kind of like generators for generating and sustaining circular economy, but it's generating, sustaining income that wasn't there before, and it's generating a healthier outlook on, you know, how you how you're able to live your life. So these comprehensive centers that you just mentioned, do you go into a community and work with them to identify where those areas of dependency are and then set up a center within a community? Or do you have the center outside of the community and invite various communities to come to it for that training and teaching as it's relevant to them? Our centers are typically of and by and for the community. So we identify an area that we can go to because the areas that it's needed, there's, there's millions of them. We can't, you know, we're in 16. What we look for is the right people in that community that, that are already serving and helping others most all the times without the means to really do so. They're giving the shirt off their back and they don't have another shirt in their closet. Those kind of people who have a personal calling on their heart to serve the needy, that's a leader. Servant leadership is, is everything for us. And when we find a person like that, now we have a foothold that we can look a little deeper where we can say, okay, what's going on? What are the problems that they're trying to solve? What are they trying to help? Most of the time, it fits, it fits what we do. And we have many, if, if we had unlimited resources, we could do this many, many more times than we do now with right leaders in place and all. But so many organizations, like charities and aid organizations, they really don't want to have people achieve independence. Mm. The dependency creates the need for that organization to stay. Motives organization has become unneeded and obsolete. That would be that would be our dream is that, yeah, we're out of here. Don't donate to us. Problem solved. Um, a lot of other organizations, people within those organizations that that, hey, you know, they're counting on this. This is their career. They've dedicated their life to this. You know, I get all the reasons why those dependent structures end up in here. But we hope to not have them. And the people mm-hmm. that we utilize as leaders in these community centers um, are people that have that calling on their heart. They've been doing it anyway. And the centers themselves, they're sometimes, they're often in churches um, and not like churches, like this building. People gather here on Sundays. They've kind of cleaned it up a little bit. And there's a pastor that that teaches um, that kind of church. Some community centers, often, sometimes it's people's homes. Um, one lady, just the most amazing lady uh, maybe I've ever met, um, Betty, uh, she's opened her home and gave her home to it. And it's not like she's wealthy. She was raising two special needs kids, uh, one of whom is not with us anymore, uh, who is helping and, and serving with motive when he passed. But she, everything she does, she just gives everything she has. I mean, she's she's Mother Teresa in Peru. Um, she opened up a new area now, uh, the one where our shoemaker is, Caraballo. And everyone told her, like, oh, geez, why would you go there? And why would you pick this building that you're going into? It's 
it's horrible. You're never going to find anyone there to live there, you know, that would be willing to live in Caraballo and go through this. And Betty was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to live there. Me and my husband will move in there. We'll, we'll make this happen. When you find people like that, you have you have a giant head start. Having their heart in the right place. We kind of we, we have the hearts of these servants there in Peru. We have we have some of the business minds up here in the U.S. And without that partnership, if we were just coming in and providing that, okay, we're going to build a nice building, we're going to do all this. Uh, that goes back to giving, um, and I'm I'm I think it's much more valuable to go to that community and go, yeah, we have ideas that you could latch on to. And lift yourselves out of these situations, but you know you got to have skin in the game. We need a place. You got a place for us to go to. If they really didn't want help, they'd say no, and we'd say, "Okay, sorry." Uh, they didn't really want the help. That what we're trying to do is inspire them to lift themselves out of these situations. And you can't. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So the places that it works. They they chip in, they dive in, and they also lead a lot of our expansion. They've it's what led us into agriculture, and now we're working on moving at, into regenerative agriculture. It, it, it was people within there that saying, "Yeah, I don't I don't want to do a posteria. I have a, access to a piece of land. I want to I want to farm and grow grow some things there." I'm like, oh, that could be a business. How much land do you have? wow, you're not able to utilize all of that. What about renting it out to some of these other people? We'll help them learn how to grow products. And, and bam, we, gotta, we have a produce farm. So I appreciate you sharing all that context. And for a lot of Bitcoiners who are listening to this, just like myself, really like the idea of limiting dependencies, single points of failure. And so it's, it's almost like the, the ethos of Bitcoin is there. If you could share with us about how Bitcoin actually fits into the plan, maybe by like a, a practical example or two, so that we can begin getting a picture for how this works with Bitcoin. Well, let me try to organize my thoughts on that because there's so many ways. And, sure. and, you know, it was a great learning experience for me. First of all, non-KYC, it's absolutely necessary and critical. Eliminating that middleman guarantees access and it guarantees freedom to transmit. The ability to transmit anywhere in the world for virtually for free. Um, is really critical. Lightning Network, a, a lot of what we do it just wouldn't be feasible um, without Lightning Network. Let's see, down in, uh, let me give you different examples because we really operate in three different regions of Peru, kind of four. Um, one region is Lima. Lima is a desert. Um, it's also the big city and there's nice areas in Lima, but it's a desert that receives less than one-tenth of an inch of rainfall a year. So Get outside of where they're actually planting and watering stuff. Nothing grows. And unless it's in like a riverbed. There, non-KYC is the most important thing. These people are not, a lot of them don't have identities. No birth record, no nothing. Um, the ones that do, and let, let's say the, the best off ones that do have identity like that and they have had a bank account before, were introduced to credit cards magic plastic money that they ran up and now it's 200% interest for them to bank. So they really are eliminated from banking anyway. Non-KYC allows everyone access to great financial tools without risk of falling into any of these, whether it be games or just systems they don't understand how to work. Bitcoin's safe for them all the way through if they understand the basics of, of what, what's important for securing Bitcoin. Then we have the jungle 
uh, regions. And you have the Amazonian jungle, which is completely geographically isolated. You can only get there by air or river. And then you have jungle regions that are accessible. And both of them, the transmissibility is really important. The Amazonian jungle, transmissibility is really important. The jungle regions that are more accessible, non-KYC is really important. Um, transmissibility and the ability to place orders and receive deliveries, things like that becomes more important. A lot of, a lot of the transactions there, they're at markets and everything like most other places, but it, um, the water supply there is full of parasites. Um, so we have a motive, motive-led business that does water purification and delivers water all on Bitcoin. And then you get up into the Andes, the, the third slash fourth region. The jungle is kind of two different regions. And you get up into the Andes, and there you have extremely hardworking people that are creative in how they can earn money, but they are geographically isolated from the broader economy. So transmissibility is massive for them, but also non-KYC, because even if you know they have birth records and they could get to, uh, or they, they could have a bank account, they can't get to the bank. They can't deposit and withdraw. It's, they're a three-day walk from Cusco, and they don't have a car. So Bitcoin as a financial system for us operating in Peru, not only does it work independently in each of these regions, but these regions are able to interact with each other because of that. And utilizing, we use um, primarily the people in our programs use the Blink wallet, and it has some great tools that help them out. Maps where they can bring up a pin to a business, send money directly to that business, send their son to go pick up what they had just ordered or whatnot. It also translates it or converts it directly into solace. A lot of our people are illiterate and doing that math from Satoshi to US dollar to US dollar mm-hmm. to solace and do I have the right conversion rate today is tricky. But I, I was talking to at, at Bitcoin 2023 in Miami, I was talking to the CEO of an exchange over in Europe. He was he was like, wow, when you say non-KYC, I just cringe. I, you know, I there's the only reason to have non-KYC is criminality. You know, there, there's there's no good reason unless, you know, you're a, you're a super prepper and you're, you know, a wing nut going, hey, you know, the government's all out to kill us. And so it was great. His background, he was an attorney. And so we debated, friendly debate and challenged all the way through. And at the end, he was like, I've never heard such a great reason why non-KYC is it's critically needed. It's not needed everywhere, in his opinion, but he's like, there's an example where only that'll work, and mm. why not let it work, and especially if it's only on Bitcoin. So that would be, those would be, and, and some, of the, some of the exact examples of how Bitcoin would work, a remote village in the Andes, how we started our program, we saw that they were, we, they were 5% of their children each year were dying due to improper footwear and exposure to cold through their feet. You know, dying of various things, but trace back to that very directly. Our, our thing was, okay, that's the whole problem. Let's solve that problem with athletic hiking boots, seven pairs of socks, and two visits by a medical foot specialist. And then that worked. The byproducts of that, though, were, okay, well, these kids can now, they can actually keep going to school all year for mm-hmm. the whole school year. They were stopping. When your shoes wore out, so did going to school because you got to walk five miles to school, five miles back. 
And with those shoes, you're not going to make it as a little guy. So you're done going to school. And then they'd have to weigh like, okay, we need the kids to help with the crops, uh, the meager crops that we can grow to barely keep ourselves fed corn and, and some wheat, grass for the for their guinea pigs that they raise to eat and all. The kids can't be helping out like that either. Once they had footwear, it increased their food supply and their food productivity. It's increasing their education, so bettering their future, helping with the food supply, helping gain better nutrients so their brains work better. It was great. The only way that village can operate financially in such a way where it's, where it's Im- improving itself, like through now with Bitcoin, they can start producing products like uh, blankets and coats and scarves and things like that. They had lost those arts. We had to reteach these classes, teach them how to make them. And now with Fiat, they would have to just carry what they could carry on their back and walk a few days into Cusco, hope to sell them, and then hope they got it home with the cash they sold it for. And they needed to sell them now. It's like, yeah, I, I only have five days to be here. I still have a lot of these left. Okay, I'll just take a dollar a piece. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it ruins their market. Well, now with Bitcoin and and Motive, we help them set up relationships with businesses in Cusco. Because literally, you'll go there and you'll buy a, and a Peruvian scarf. And it'll say made in China on it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we're able to go and say, hey, here, help them advertise. These come from villagers right around here. These are handmade. Here's the pictures of the ladies doing them. Um, it doesn't matter. They don't have to sell right away. And that money can be transmitted back in Bitcoin. The, the women don't have to leave their families for weeks at a time or, or the men or whatever. And they don't have to have bank accounts for those that can't get that. They can have them, certainly, but don't need them. None of that works securely without Bitcoin. All of that is you're, you're teetering on, on a weak log. So that's that's kind of an example of how Again, it's holistic. It's not one simple thing. Mm-hmm. And we got told by so many people and groups and donors and everything, just do one thing. Just do. Just pick one little thing. Well, it doesn't make the change happen. And yeah, we're not going to change the whole world, but let us at least be an example that here's a system that actually holistically can make change happen. And please, everybody copy us and replicate it. And then I'm curious about how Bitcoin enters into these smaller communities in the first place. I'm assuming somehow through motive, but how does that process happen? Well, we recognize the harm that's done by charitable giving. And a lot of people say, wait, you know, charitable giving is good. You're a nonprofit. You look for donations. When you're just giving, you are setting up another dependency. You're not helping Mm -hmm. anything. Um, you might, you know, in survival situations, absolutely earthquake, you know, emergency or whatnot, for sure that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about steady giving. So for for our programs, the the people that join them, they have to earn it. And this is how the Bitcoin comes into that comprehensive center and radiates out. A comprehensive center works like a generator for that circular economy. So the way you would earn it is a lady says, OK, I'm, I'm interested in this class of uh, be, being able to um, build a posteria for myself or create a business um, making pastries out of my home. Um, so she receives a motive scholarship in Bitcoin for great attendance, if not perfect, uh, being there on time 
working hard, paying attention, learning and advancing. Um, we're really we're really weighing all that because if, if they're not trying to figure it out, then they are just sitting there and receiving it. And they get enough in that scholarship that they pay their teacher. Motive doesn't pay the teacher. I mean, it all comes through us. But it's really important for them to recognize that I'm gaining value from that lady and she deserves something. Here you go. I'm paying you um, for what you're teaching me. Um, it's so much more. You value things that you pay for and you sacrifice for so much more than you do the things you're just given. And then the ladies typically have children. Well, we have youth programs. Um, their children need daycare. Or if their children need daycare, they normally do. They'll pay the daycare providers or the, or the programs for their children to be in. And uh, so their children are in enrichment programs as well. There's enough in that scholarship then for them to buy their basic needs, food, water, uh, medical, cell phone minutes. And so they're really earning a living wage in, in their area. It's a living wage. It's not technically, but they're earning enough to dedicate that time to what they're learning. That amount of time of their day. Okay. They're gaining multiple benefits out of this. And we're also teaching at the same time that that's, you know, you, you build yourself as a compound, not just build one wall. You have to build walls, doors, windows, roofs. And so I've got my children being taken care of in enrichment programs. I've got enough money to buy nutrition, cell minutes, water, um, some medical needs uh, provided, usually provided through the center. But still, they'll pay a little bit for that. It, it, that's part of making the transaction circular. You just can't be giving things out for free. And then the businesses that they're buying those things from, there's now you have a class with 30 ladies in it and they're earning this money and they have money to buy food and uh, water and, and these things. So then it requires businesses around there to accept Bitcoin. And we haven't had big resistance in that, especially when it's near one of those centers. They're like, okay, we're earning and we can deal with this. So that then that goes out that way. Well, if you're a market and you're doing 20% of your business in Bitcoin and you have a 10% profit margin, what are you going to do with all that Bitcoin? They don't have Bitcoin ATMs. They don't have access to exchanges through bank accounts or anything like that. That then they need to they need to pay for some of their goods in Bitcoin. They need to pay some employees salaries in Bitcoin. Um, and it just starts feeding that circular economy. And so now we have shoemakers doing all the shoes in Bitcoin. Um, all, 95% of our programs are, are life-saving steps programs. They're made now by a guy that came up through our programs that is a shoe manufacturer who employs seven people that are learning to become cobblers and shoe manufacturers. They're all paid in Bitcoin. The whole business runs in Bitcoin. He buys most of his supplies in Bitcoin um, and he makes really great shoes. So that's kind of how it starts, but it's not where it finishes. You know, it just keeps radiating out deeper and deeper. Well, I feel like we've just scratched the surface here. There are plenty of other things we could talk about. But if you could maybe share some final thoughts as well as ways to keep up with what Motive's doing. The thing to keep in mind is don't look at what we're doing in Peru. And if, if you look at our, our social media or YouTube channel and you see, you know, like, oh, my gosh, those are conditions that I'm never going to have to live in. What you need to recognize is that you're wrong about that. 
those those people ended up in those situations because they 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 opted into dependency situations or they were or they were slammed with dependency situations we here in the US in Europe and in in um, more of the financially sound and secure places we're faced with those kind of decisions right now those who are not into bitcoin you should learn don't be ignorant uh, it's okay to be naive we, we always start there but don't be ignorant where you're ignoring um, something that you've heard so much about and i'm coming from an ignorant guy who was ignorant about it for way too long not not pointing fingers that aren't pointing back at me as well when when we're they're talking about cbdc's or they're talking about uh, crypto stuff and all of these different nut and shell games with finances, you need to recognize that, wait a minute, uh, I can handle Bitcoin independently as well. It's an independent store of wealth. Even BlackRock is now saying it's, it's a good replacement for gold. Start looking at that. And if you start down that path now, you're going to have the ability to make wiser decisions for yourself, your community and your country when you understand the need for self-custody of your money and your store of wealth and to not have to have all these trusted intermediaries because when it hits the fan, they, they pull back. When it hits the fan, uh, your Bitcoin is much safer. That's what I would tell people to think about. Don't look at Peru as, oh, it's so good for the poor. It is. It's doing great things, and I encourage you all to donate to Motive. But don't count yourself out of ending up in that kind of situation in the in the years or decades to come, or or your families, or the community that you've sacrificed and, and tried to build. Um, it can happen to you, and with technological advances the way they are, with the pressure Bitcoin um, and blockchain has put on legacy systems to change, it could happen quickly. That's the thought I would lead them with. And through that, if you want to see the way it develops more, pay attention to us. Pay attention to what's going on in Motive and and how it is changing things from the ground up where people in absolute obscurity are generating self-sustaining income for themselves and their family. Um, And a big part of that is paying attention to learning things you need to learn, but it's also they have a financial system that's independent. Lastly, I would say follow us by uh, tune into my Twitter at Motive PM. And Motive is M O T I V. There's no E on the end of it. At Motive PM. Or our corporate Twitter um, that I need to get more active on at Motive NGO Global. The, uh, our YouTube channel is also uh, at Motive NGO Global. Our, our Facebook and, and everything else is around there. And then my co founders at Motive. Peru. I think it's just at M-O-T-I-V-P-E-R-U. Tune in there. Communicate with us. Um, we're also not a, a lot of people say, oh, I'd love to come down and see all this. We work in extraordinarily vulnerable areas. Also, many of them very dangerous. It's not it's not open for tourism. We do have tourism things coming later this year. You will be able to travel and do all of the wonderful things, Machu Picchu and everything with outstanding, long-lasting, long-existing travel companies and do it all on uh, Bitcoin if you choose um, and through Motive, and that'll go to help support our programs. Not only would we get a piece of, if you book through Motive, 
we'll get a little percentage that go into our programs. But also this this uh, tour company will be directing you towards some of these little micro entrepreneurs and and regular entrepreneurs that have grown up through the motive system. So it's you will now have the opportunity. It won't just be the comprehensive center driving the generation of this economy. It'll also be inflows of money through that. Um, who doesn't want to go see the Sacred Valley in Machu Picchu in Peru or surf one of the famous waves there? Perfect. All right. Well, Rich, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, friends, it's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Business Bitcoinization Show. If you want to reach out to either me or Rich, you can find those links down in the show notes. And follow along with what Motive is doing at their website, motive.ngo. As always, keep building, keep growing, and until next time, keep living and leading well. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, thank you. If you want to take a further step in your support for the show, you can help us grow by listening on Fountain, a value-for-value podcast app on iOS or Android. If you hear something you like that you disagree with or anything else, you can share it by sending some sats and adding a comment with your thoughts. Some of you have already done this, and I appreciate it. I'm going to begin reading your boosts on upcoming episodes, so if you have some insight or value to add, let the people know. Getting started with Fountain is easy. You can add Bitcoin to your Fountain wallet by using your fiat accounts or any lightning wallet and one of my favorite features is that once you're using the app you can earn stats just by listening on fountain check out the link in the show notes to get started with fountain today